for your prayers this week. If I have, I have had Judy's family with me in the house. Thank you for those prayers. Not really. I love them. There's, uh, and I'll have them stand up. I want you to say hello to Ron Erickson, the elder statesman of the house. John and Terry, his wife Terry. Stand up, guys. Come on. Stand up. Come on. Whatever. You don't stand up. Am I on? There they are. <laughs> All right. And, that, and that's not enough because Dave Miller's uh, daughter Stephanie and Larry and the girls are with him this morning. And you guys stand up. Steph was around here as a little girl. Glad, glad to see you guys this morning. Now, what we ought to all do is to all stand up and give each other a clap. But don't do that. <laughs> okay, just clap yourself. Well, <laughs> it's good to see everyone here this morning to uh, worship God together. Hey, do, you know, do you realize how important this is that we are here to lift up the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and that we're going to be able to participate that with a whole bunch of other people around the world. And one day we're all going to stand before him, every tribe and tongue and nation. It's going to be a wonderful time. I hope you're practicing at home and here, lifting up your hands to the Lord. Uh, Judy and I want to thank you last week for the beautiful flowers that you guys gave us for Pastor Appreciation and the cards and gifts and all those words. We're very thankful for that. Thank you so much. It was so big, though, when I laid down for a nap, she just draped it across me. It looks like one of those funeral things. No, she didn't do it. No, she didn't. But it was, it was beautiful. Thank you. It was, uh, we really do appreciate and love each one of you. Thank you for that. And um, also just how, how good God is to us, and uh, we are thankful for that. Um, this is the 22nd day of Israel's war uh, with Gaza and Hamas. And um, after all the horrific things that happened on October the 7th, over six or 7,000 rockets have been shot into Israel, and 1,400 at least, more than that, dead now, and uh, 220. That number keeps increasing. They release four and add six. I don't know how that is. About 220 people are uh, soldiers, elderly, children, families have been kidnapped and are uh, still in the tunnels in Gaza. But in today, I believe that they are, in the last several days, they've begun the incursion trying to Eliminate Hamas, that evil, wicked, horrific things that happened. I don't want to even talk about all the things that happened a couple of weeks ago and continue to happen. Uh, it's hard to see that, but the IDF, Israeli Defense Forces, are moving into that. Um, I say that uh, we're going to pray for them this morning, but I also want to uh, just give a word from Bridges for Peace, the ministry that I'm on their board, U.S. board, and Judy and I are going to be heading there this week for that board meeting. And one of the words that I've heard from them that, over, that as a ministry in Israel, based in Israel, their volunteers are there, and they gave them all the opportunity. You want to leave? Get out now. If you want to go home as a volunteer, and none of this, go home. That's why we came. We came for this, to be a help, to be a, a touch in the name of Jesus to the Israeli Jewish people. And um, I talked to a friend of mine yesterday, or I think it was, and he said that he heard that they're at least giving $250,000 worth of food every week, every week. So that's quite a bit. And they're moving down to the south and also up to the north to help the families. Uh, people have left. Uh, you know, 300,000 soldiers are down on the front lines. That leaves their families they need and all the economic things. But one of the, the things I want to um, 
encourage you with and ask you to continue to pray for is that um, Judy and I remarked as we've watched this over and over the last number of days, you can't hardly get away from it, watching what's happening, is that we haven't heard the name of God mentioned much at all. Um, not from our, our, our side, of course. Uh, that's logical. They don't, our government doesn't talk about God and what we need in the Lord. But even in Israel, they haven't mentioned much until the other day I read that as the IDF are now going in to the land uh, to conquer, to eliminate the wickedness that's been coming after them, um, they chant a, a scripture verse. Psalm 118, verse 25, which says, Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. And that's a prayer out of the Psalm 118. But what's interesting about that verse is that the week before October 7th, that was Feast of Tabernacles. And during the, the ceremony of the celebration of Feast of Tabernacles at the temple, the high priest in days past would, because there is no temple today, would go down to the Pool of Siloam and bring up water from the Pool of Siloam. And as they would bring that up, he said, of Isaiah 12, 3, I believe it is, he said, springs of water are coming up as an indication of God's presence with them during Feast of Tabernacles. And they would begin to declare on the Temple Mount at that time at the temple, Psalm 118, verse 25, Lord, save us, Lord, grant us success. And they did that for the week ahead if they observed the Feast of Tabernacles. And then that Saturday, the eighth day of that feast, is when the attack took place. So what they modeled as a religious uh, tradition or an uh, action of, of memorial in the week before, they now are living it to say, Lord, save us, Lord, grant us success. You see, the Word of God can sort of live around in our head and we go to church and we do all those kind of things. We celebrate different holidays, different things. And, and it's good that we do that. But there are days then that reality of that event uh, becomes life for us. You know, uh, when Jesus was born, we celebrate that his, the birth of Christ. But wait, wait a minute. When he was born in my heart, when I received him, that's a whole different deal. When I know him as my Savior. So that's very important and I'm, I'm thankful for that. So this is shouting. Many ministries are helping, but Bridges for Peace is right on our front lines to help them, and they acknowledge that. So what can we do? What can we do about First of all, we can give, uh, support, send, uh, say, I want to be a part. You can put a sign up in your front yard, I stand with Israel, and be prepared for the backlash that you may get from that. I was so proud of uh, Gracie Phillips. She's out at Tiffin University, and I heard that she put up her I stand with Israel flag, or the Israel uh, flag in her dorm room. I don't think I got out of the dorm room yet, did it? No. I stand for Israel. Yeah, uh, remember Garrett Gracie was in Israel this uh, past uh, summer. And so she's taking a stand. And when I heard that she's also putting the Star of David in ink on her hand and on all her papers, they said, you go, girl. Awesome. Standing for Jesus and standing for the people of God, the apple of God's eye, Israel. So we've talked the last several weeks on how to pray and um, to comfort, pray for comfort, protection, that they might learn to trust in God, they might see him, be delivered, and have some divine interventions. I think there's been some of those. So keep your eyes out. When miracles happen, 
because God loves to show himself strong on our behalf and their behalf. So let's bow in prayer as we pray for Israel this morning. Father God, we come to you, uh, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the old covenant that we understood by the law and your giving, revealing yourself to your people. And Lord, I thank you for the new covenant and your blood that we can know you and be grafted in and we can know your heart. Thank you, Lord Jesus, Messiah, as you've come. But Lord, today we pray for the protection of Israel. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem according to your word. We pray, Father, that you would comfort the, the brokenhearted, those that families are gone or grandparents are in, in the tunnels or children that have been brutally murdered. Lord, I pray that you might comfort your people, that you might surround them with your watch care over them. Lord, I just pray for those miracles to happen, that you would demonstrate yourself and that you would let the nations know that you are God. It's not Israel's strength. It's not their ability. It's your power demonstrated for them. So, Lord, we pray for deliverance. We pray for uh, their leadership. We pray, Lord, that your will might be accomplished in this day as we pray and stand with your people Israel. Thank you, Lord, that we can do that, and we do that here. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles now and turn to the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 1. Uh, several uh, weeks ago, maybe a couple of months ago, we began a study in the book of Colossians, this uh, little four-chapter letter. It's in about the middle of your New Testament. You can find that. Um, you can find the book of Colossians. And we, we, we've been going verse by verse down through it. And as we've looked at and gone over these letters uh, that Paul wrote to them, we discover a lot of truths that we need to understand. Do you remember that um, the city of Colossae was about 100 miles east of Ephesus. If you look at the back of your Bible, if you have the maps back there, you can see Ephesus, and you go 100 miles east, and you find the town of Colossae, and then about 9 miles, 12 miles west of that is Laodicea, the one that you read about in the book of Revelation and also in this book. They will be mentioned, and then north of that is Hierapagus, which is a, was a Roman or Greek city. But anyway... This city was filled with idolatry and false teaching as well. It was a Gentile city. It wasn't a Jewish city. It was Gentile. And uh, Paul begins to write to them. He, Paul's in prison way over in Rome. And as he is writing and hears about them, he said, I've heard great things about you. You're walking in faith. But I need to write to you. I want to pray for you. But I want to write to you some things you need to know. And so... Uh, he's, he's writing to them out of his suffering. He's in a place, he's in prison. And, and I thought, I, I don't know if uh, letters in those days had an aroma to them. I don't know if they wrote them on uh, um, skin, animal skin, as they wrote letters or a parchment and they rolled it up as a scroll and unpacked it. But I wonder when, the, when that little, or that congregation in Colossae opened it up, was there an aroma there? I was trying to think, I wonder what prison smelled like. I do remember when my bride would send me letters from California that my siblings would go to the mailbox first and they would smell it and that'd be her perfume and they'd run, you got a letter from Judy, you know, give me that letter, I'm killing you, you know, that kind of thing. And, uh, but I wondered, because it, it, you need to understand that when Paul writes his heart, it isn't from his little um, office on the 16th floor of a beautiful high-rise building with air conditioning and so forth. He is in prison conditions as he pours out 
God's heart for the people and his motivation and why he did everything and told them. And we've gone down through and seen how he has uh, just taught them about life and about Jesus. And, and he even gets to the place where he said, uh, I'm going to talk about myself here a little bit. He doesn't say those words, but he does. And he said, I want to present to you a very powerful mystery that you need to know about because it's now been revealed. And we'll talk a little bit about that. But it's his motivation. And Paul was one that he said in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, he said, follow me as I follow Christ. So he gave a story, and in that story, he gives his life. Now, I'm not wanna, I don't want to do a character study of this individual like we might for one of the disciples or Moses or Elijah. This isn't a character study, but he wrote it. So I can't eliminate what he's going to say about himself. He's giving us his motivation for life and why he did what he did. And it's about uh, how God wanted him to live. And this will be important as we go along and grab hold of it because I would ask you do, you, do any of us have enough boldness to say and tell everybody why we do what we do? The scripture does say give an answer, give an answer for the hope that lies within you. Be able to declare your faith. Tell others about it. But I don't know that any of us really want to live in or do live in the thing that I'm going to tell you what motivates me. We don't have that opportunity usually. But listen, as I'm going to read several passages. So look down at your Bible. Look at Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to be, begin at the end of verse 23. Um, we had talked all about 21, 22 last week. But here he said, and of which, okay, let me go back. Uh, this is the gospel that you heard that has been declared, pro proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. He said, I'm a servant to the gospel. I am, I'm going to serve the good news that I was given. Now, let me read down what he says. Follow along, and I'll try to read it and emphasize what I want you to grab hold of. Now, I, Paul, I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. I told you, he's in prison. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I've become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim. He said, he's the one I'm going to talk about. He's the one I'm declaring. I proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want, I'm going to go on to do chapter 2 now. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea. And for all who have not met me personally, in other words, you don't even know who I am, you haven't met me, but my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and in united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they might know the mystery of God, namely Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you 
by fine-sounding arguments. For though I'm absent from you in body, I'm present with you in spirit and delight in to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Now that's his letter so far. He lines out, uh, I rejoice in what I'm doing. I have a call to which I have to perform, and I want you to know that I've got purpose by what I'm doing right now, and you need to know that. I don't want to talk about the mystery right now, but I want to talk about Paul because I want you to see how Paul um, gives word about his life and why he did what he did. I want you to look, go back a couple pages to the book of Ephesians chapter 3. This is another letter that Paul wrote to a church 100 miles west of Colossae the, in Ephesus. Very similar um, in statement. Again, Paul's writing to another church. He said, for this reason, verse 1, Ephesians 3, 1, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. In reading this, then, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles and heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise of Christ Jesus. I have become a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I'm less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration to this mystery, which for ages past has been, been hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you which are your glory. Now what I've just done is violated every, every principle of homiletical preaching. I just read to you about 26 verses and you're all going, I hope I can keep up. I hope you didn't fall asleep during it. I hope you paid attention. I hope you looked down at it. But, I, but reading large passages of books and stuff is difficult to keep up with what's going on. But I hope you heard enough to understand that Paul said, I was given some stuff, and it's, it's powerful stuff. It's what you need. It's what I need. It's something that we need to live in. It's a mystery of God. But it's Christ. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. But he goes on to say, he said, listen, I, I'm only doing what God gave me to do. Turn to the book of Acts. Go back towards the Bible a little bit. In front of your Bible, just a little bit, to the book of Acts. I'm going to read another section too, Acts chapter 9. And this is when Saul, prior to Paul, those of you who know this story, would remember where he, uh, he was on his way to the city of Damascus in Lebanon, north. He said, I'm going there and I'm going to kill a bunch of people. I'm going to I'm going to imprison them for blasphemy. And on that way, Jesus appears to him, and he, he strikes him and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You're going after people, but it's me you're going after. 
Why are you persecuting me? Why are you going after me? And he said, Lord, Lord. He said, who are you? I'm Jesus. And he goes on in the story. And look down at verse 15 where Anna, Ananias was told, you go to Saul. And this is the word given. Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Now, if you've been listening to these words, you hear the words, I'm suffering. I'm in prison. I'm making up in my body afflictions of, for the sake of righteousness. He's not suffering as, as, a, as an addition to what Jesus paid on the cross for us. That's done and deal. It's finished. He did it all. But Jesus also told his disciples, if I've been persecuted, you're going to be persecuted. And we suffer for the sake of righteousness. And so Saul says, I'm suffering for you. And I'm, I'm carrying that on so that you would understand that what Christ has done is vitally important and settled. So you go to, verse, uh, go to chapter 26, and we'll be back in Colossians in just a minute, back to Acts 26. I'm giving you a foundation of why Paul did what he did. And we read commissioned, it was given to me, but this is the scene. And to a king, King Agrippa, in Acts 26, he repeats this statement. Verse 14, he said, we all fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's hard for you to kick against these goats. Then I asked, who are your Lord? He said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. The Lord replied, now get up, stand on your feet. I've appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue from your own people, from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So if you would ever talk to Paul, you said, Paul, how did you ever get here? Why did you write these letters? Why do we read your letters? What's going on? He said, I was called by Jesus himself. And he said, Saul, and he changed his name to Paul. He said, I am going to use you to give my word to them so they can know that, that their sins can be forgiven and they can, they can rise in, and live for me. So, so Paul, when he writes to the church, he says, I want you to know what I'm doing. I, I thought when I was studying this, I'm thinking, you know, that's a lot of things to say about yourself and why are you doing Go back to the book of Colossians, if you kept the piece of paper in there. I said, why, why Paul, are you writing about your motivation? But I think what, what the Lord is using Paul to do, he said, there is a heart for God that's committed and not going to quit no matter what happens because Paul has been in suffering. And he said, I'm suffering for your sake and for the righteousness, and for the gospel. I wanted to go forth, and Saul says, Paul, I got a question. He's no longer Saul, he's Paul. He said, if you look down in your Bible, 124, he said, now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you. You know, when God calls you to do something, sometimes it's hard to be joyful in that. And that word joyful is like what you see in the springtime when the little lambs jump up and down and run around and little 
uh, little ponies do all that stuff when they're born. It's a joyful jumping up and down. So he said, here I am, I'm in prison, but I am rejoicing in this. I am excited for what I'm going to share with you. I'm excited about what's happening. I'm thousand, maybe a thousand miles away from where you are. But I want you to know that the gospel of Jesus Christ has so changed me, I want you to know, and I'm bringing it to you so that you can enter into all that God has for you, which was widely important for a group of people who were surrounded by all kinds of false teaching, all kinds of fancy-sounding doctrines, and doctrines that are changing according to whoever's in charge at the time, a lot of, uh, of idol worship, and, and I, I, a couple of weeks ago when we talked about, uh, look over in verse 14, we talked about this, or verse 15. The sun is the image of the invisible, invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and inv invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority. All things have been created through him and for him. He's before all things. In him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body of the church. Now, Paul said, I got you, I, I'm letting you know that Christ is, is it. He's the creator God. And we talked about what that means and why this is important. He said, I'm suffering for this mystery of Christ because in those days, like today, and this is why this book is so powerful for right now, there are people that are teaching things in our schools, in inner culture, in our, in our colleges, even in the neighborhoods where we live that would say, the creation of God is invalid. God does not create the world, did not create the world. Therefore, you can be anything you want to be. You can thumb your nose at your creator, God, and said, I don't want to be a man anymore. I want to be a woman. I want to be a cat today. I want to be, be something. And what is that doctrine going around? It says you can be any God you want to be. But the Bible says, boy, it sounded like Billy Graham right there. The Bible says, I don't mean to do that. It caught up in the energy here. Uh, the Bible says, the scriptures are clear that Jesus Christ, the one we know the gospel to be, that he died on the cross for my sin and for years, that he was buried and he rose again the third day, resurrection life, all of that. He's also the creator of all things. So when the doctrines go around that says, oh, the Bible doesn't mean what it says. We don't like that page. We don't like that one. Get rid of that. And, and they come against you for your believing in the word of God, you have to know that you need to understand. And Paul's writing, guys, you live in a culture that's violating everything about the creator God who made you, and he desires to know you. In fact, the words are reconciled, be reconciled to God. You get peace with God by the blood of his cross. That's down in verse 20, by making peace through his blood, the blood of the cross. So Paul is saying to them, he said, listen, I'm going to tell you what turns me on every day. The excitement of following Jesus with joy. And even though I'm suffering, I'm doing it for the sake of his word. I'm doing it for you, his church. Remember, he's head of the church, the body. He's the head. So I'm doing it for him. And I am his servant to do that. Verse 25, back in chapter 1, he said, I have become its servant the gospel, I, I've become the servant of it by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. He said, I, I, I'm commissioned. I was sent out to tell you the good news that's even reaching to you, a Gentile, 
Now, later on in the book, he's going to talk about worshiping of angels, and he's going to talk about uh, just following the uh, Judaic law, the law of Moses, that, you know, sort of by works you can get there. He said, no, it's by grace. I want to talk to you about grace. I want to tell you about what is going on. But I've been commissioned to reveal that to you. It's a mystery. It's been hidden. But Jesus is the one. He said, Christ is the one. That's the one I'm proclaiming to you. Verse 20, he's the one I'm declaring to. Go down to verse 8. He said, for he's the one we proclaim. I'm going to preach it to you. Admonishing and teaching everyone. Now, the word admonish is an interesting word because it really speaks of counseling. It's an admonishing word. It counsels people. Uh, I like one of the definitions I read. It's application-oriented. It isn't just truth shoved down at you. It was application-oriented. In other words, this is what you need to know, but you need to apply it in this way. I'm going to teach you, and chapter 3 and 4, he's going to do a lot of that, but I'm going to move this along. It's application. And as he admonishes and counsels people, he gives warning to the unbeliever. That's evangelism. But he also challenges the believer to apply the truth, practice it, put it to use. I think that's one word we have around here. If it doesn't work on Tuesday afternoon when the tire just went flat and the washing machine just broke and the, and the uh, principal of school got call, just called and said, your child, let me see what thing I could do would stir you up. Um, just got an F or is sick. I don't care, whatever. When all those things happen, are you walking in faith? Are you walking with Jesus? Or, and do you, do you see the gospel being worked out in your life and loving people and doing? If it doesn't work then, believe me, it isn't working now when you sit in this pew. Because all you're doing is listening. Oh, that's, that's good. And we've all done it. But where does, the, where does it come to pass in my life? How do I apply these things in my everyday life? So the admonishing is sort of a one-to-one -one kind of thing. But then he said, I'm also teaching you. This passage is a little bit of a teaching thing. It's a systematic disc discover, uh, disclosure of truth. It's teaching. And the purpose, Paul said, is in down to verse 28. He said that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Now, we've talked, we talk a lot about that, about grow up, to grow up, to mature, to become, move into, move from adolescence into adulthood, begin to mature, begin to gain experience in walking with the Lord. We should be knowing him more, better and better each day, more and more each day, more power, more love in my life. So Paul says, this is my goal for you, Colossian people. I'm strenuously, if you look down in in um, the end of verse, or verse 29, to, the, to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Now let me pull that out. Do you strenuously contend for the faith walking in your life with the energy that God gives you? I think most of the time, uh, if you ask people how they're doing, how you're really doing, oh, I'm tired. I'm just so tired, I can't move, I can't just do anything. Well, where does the energy come from? Well, of course, eating well and all those, getting enough sleep, all that. But church, we don't live with that stuff. I mean, we do that stuff, I understand that. But where does the power to live for Christ come from? It comes from him. Christ in you, the hope of glory. He's the one that's going to empower me. And Paul said, this is how, what I've discovered. All the energy that Christ has given to me. 
And he says, all of this is for you. Even verse, chapter one, uh, 2, verse 1, he said, even if I haven't met you, I still care about you. I want you to know this. And that my goal is you're encouraged in heart. I want you to know God. I want you to walk in this to know the mystery. So first part of this message, this sermon is, do you understand that Paul has been given something that we all need to have? And this is his motivation. He said, my goal is that you're encouraged. My goal is you grow up. My goal is this. And now if you're listening to that, it's sort of like the, the motivation. This is why we do what we do, Paul said. I'm coming with this. But the mystery is sort of the nugget in the middle of all this. So we, if we remove Paul's motivation and his character and what he's doing, you come back, he said, I want to share with you and give you something that is going to be rich. It's going to be wonderful. It is going to impact your life. Old Testament people didn't know it. It's there, but it wasn't revealed to them. By the way, that word mystery is not a mysterious word to get. It's not a mystery novel as a, like a whodunit mystery. Like you go through all these questions, try to figure it out at the end, whodunit. This is simply a word that means it has not been unpacked yet. It hasn't been revealed yet. And that word in the scripture has to do with Holy Spirit revelation. There's stuff that you're not going to get until the Holy Spirit opens your eyes to see it. And that's what he's after. He said, it is now being revealed that the Gentiles can receive, that you can know God, that this is where it is. It's a revealed. And what is a revelation? He said, the revelation is this. After all the gospel, he's given how God has saved them. He's given all the things that he has done for them and freeing them from darkness. He said, but here's the, here's the deal. Here's the reality of it. You need to know that Christ is in you. You need to know his presence in your life. If there's anything that sits on the backdrop of our world as Christians, oh yeah, we're saved. Go saved, you know Jesus, give your heart to you. Oh yeah, yeah, yes, yes indeed, I know that. And I, want, I do know that. But what about, does he live in me? Christ in you, the hope of glory? Do you understand the presence of Jesus? You see, it's, it's not just like he saved me and that's simply all there is, which is enough, but it's now revealed what Jesus did in the past and what he will do in the future when he comes for his bride and all the things are going to happen. It's the right nowness of he is, he is with me, lives in me, not only eternal life, but his presence, the substance of my life as a believer. That's a hard one to grab hold of because we sort of put Jesus over like there. He's my savior, yes, and I give him my heart, yes. But when I understand that he said, I will abide in you, I will live in you, I have come to make my home in you, that takes on a whole different dimension because he doesn't come in and out occasionally. You don't pick him up on Sunday morning when you walk through the door. So, Jesus, I'm here. Where's my, okay, here, come on. I can be with you today. But when I go, I'll leave him back in the coat rack, and then we'll get, keep going on. That's not what Christ in you means. It means that every part of my life, he is indwelling me by the Holy Spirit, 
in my life, and I'm living out his life in my life. You know, we're, we're just a sorry bunch of people if we try to give everybody us. Who wants you? I mean, who wants me? I'll do it that way. Everybody wants you, but they don't want me. Oh, that's, that's our little self-conscious thing going on, our false humility. What do they want? What does the world need? It, they need Jesus. They need to know that Christ Jesus, sent by the Father, Father gave, loved the world that he gave his son. He came to earth. He lived among us. He walked at a pace that we could get to know him. He performed miracles. We saw who he was. He died on the cross for our sin, buried, rose again. That's who he is. But now he lives inside of you and me. If you belong to him, you've given your heart to Christ, he comes and lives within us. And it's my life. It's the source of my actions. It should be my thoughts. It should be, I measure things by that. Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's living out. It's experiencing the indwelling Christ in us right now. By our actions. By things that are seen. God calls us light. He says, doesn't say, well, maybe sometimes you're light. He says, you're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. And he says, if the light gets hit under a bushel, it doesn't work. If it's, if it's lost its saltiness, it doesn't work. That's back in his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. But really, the matter is, hey, that's who you are. I made you. You're a new creature in Christ. Now, I'm living inside of you and do this. A number of years ago, there was a little book uh, by Robert Munger. It says, My Heart, Christ, Home. And that little book, he, he sort of did um, sort of a teaching parable using a house. And he talked about every room in the house about what it would be if Christ lived in your house. And he took our bodies and he sort of made us into a house. And so he talked about uh, the living room of, and the house. It's where you, and you, you bring your visitors into the living room. He said, it's that place where you, where you uh, prepare to meet Christ. You, you bring him in. He's here with me. And then he said, you go to your dining room, and that's where God begins to address your appetites and what you're eating and how you're being healthy in the Word of God and all those kind of things. He goes right down through the house, and he went to a library, which most of our houses don't have li uh, libraries, but he said the library emphasis, because it's an older book, he said library is what you're reading. What are you taking in? What is going on inside of you? Is Christ is in your heart, what are you taking in? What is it that you're in your library, what are you feeding on in your life? And that's, those are important questions because sometimes we fill ourselves up. Uh, right now, it seems like news is number one. You're always watching what's going on in the news. It could be your interest in sports, so you're looking at all this sports stuff. It could be your interest in uh, crocheting, if you're into that, or other kind of things. It's what are you taking in? Because what you feed on in your dining room, what you read on in the library, all will have an effect on your life. Christ is in your life. And then he goes out to the workshop, and he said, what are you working with your hands? What are you making? What are your hands finding to do? And then he talked about the rec room, the, uh, the room where you have all your friends in and, and your uh, activities, your, your, your fun times. What are you doing there? Where is Christ in that aspect of your life? And then he, he, he very uh, 
directly adds in there your hall closet where you stuff everything when the visitors are coming over. Quick, they're at the door. Shove everything into the closet so they don't see the mess that was just in your living room five minutes ago, right? So he said, Jesus comes and opens up the door. He said, how about this stuff? Can we talk about that? What are those things going on that you don't want anybody to know? Christ, is he in your heart? Yes, he is. Over and over again, Paul's heart is saying, you have got to understand that Christ in you is the hope of glory. This reality must be yours. It must be revealed by the Holy Spirit that we would walk in him, Christ in you. I could go on to the aspect of glory and all that, but I just want to stop with those thoughts right now. You don't go someplace. You should go and say, Jesus, you just stay here. I'll come back later for you. If you go to a place you shouldn't go, you don't leave him outside. You don't just pick him up, as I said, in the door. Go to 1 Corinthians. We'll, we'll close with these couple of verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. That's back again towards the front of your Bible. Um, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This is a great mystery. It's been revealed. We can walk in it. Verse 16. He said, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. You're God's temple, a place where he dwells, a place where he is to be worshipped, which is why early on this morning I encourage you, we worship at home, right? We worship with our lives, right? We just don't wait till Sunday morning when someone leads us to worship. Worship is a part of our life. Turn over to chapter 6. Look down at verse 19. Well, let's go back to 18 and read into it. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you whom you receive from God, you're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify or honor God with your bodies. You see, over and over the Word of God, it just gets that marriage going on. Your, your, your body, your spirit, your life, your soul, your mind, emotions, everything. Christ in you. Don't you know that? Don't you walk in that? Watch what you did. One last verse. Go to the book of Titus. Now, we were in Colossians. It's over a few more pages towards the back of your Bible. I'm trying to give a little help in finding this little book. It's a couple pages. It's written to a man by the name of Titus. Titus chapter 2 and verse 11. And this might uh, tie up what we're talking about, the, the, the revealed mystery of God to Gentiles and from then on to all of us. That mystery of God, the grace of God. Look down at verse 11, Titus 2, 11. <clears throat> For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. And most of us stop right there. Isn't that great? But look what it says. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. It teaches us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives 
in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are, very, are his very own eager to do what is good. These, then, are the things you should teach. Encourage, rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you, says to Titus. It teaches us. So this morning, are you being taught? Is he teaching you something about grabbing hold of the mystery revealed as Christ in you, the hope of glory? That we could grow up, that we understand that it's not me, it's him. I'm not my own. I'm bought with a price. I glorify God in my body. Everything is, belongs to him. And that's our call. And that's what motivated Paul and what should begin to motivate us, that the message we have is the gospel of Jesus Christ that goes on to include and is included in the salvation gospel message is that Christ is now in you, and that's the hope of all the glory he has. So we walk with him, talk with him, Worship him. We're going to close now. Worship him. You can come uh, with this song. Lord, I, it's my desire to give you my heart, to give it all to you.